All right, can you please stand one more time for the reading of God's Word? Our passage this morning is found in 1 John chapter 3, and it's verses 19 to 24. It says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts condemn us, we have confidence. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of God. You may be seated. <laughs> hey, Mike, we found the clicker. It's up here. All right. Is this thing on? Good. Got to know which direction the cord comes from. Let's, uh, before we get into preaching, let me just uh, pray again briefly. You know, it's it's been a while since I've been here. There's other people who are not here today. And, um, boy, it's just a pleasure to see you all and to have this chance to um, to just pray and be in the house of the Lord together. I want to pray for those who are just dealing with this crazy time we're in and how difficult it can be uh, with COVID. So, uh, dear God, we thank you for this place. We thank you for those who are able to come out and be with us in person. We thank you for those at home watching uh, through this amazing technology of live streaming. We pray that each one would be mentally and spiritually just in your presence right now and preparing their hearts for what you have for them. But God, I want to pray uh, for our congregation, for our members um, who have been through so much in this time. We pray for Tom and Mary who have both lost dads in the last few weeks. We pray for Victor who's lost a brother just recently. We pray for our friend Paul uh, Roussel, a, a friend of this ministry and a personal friend who also has lost a brother. God, we pray that you bring comfort to those families in a time when they're unable to gather together, unable to, to say the things they want to say and to hold hands when they need to, um, to just know, God, that you are there to hold the hands of their loved ones who have passed, of those who are sick. God, we pray that uh, for those in our own congregation who are dealing with um, families and problems, difficulties in their families during this time when it's hard to get together, uh, both Barbara and Stacy, who, who are facing challenges with aging parents, we pray, God, for wisdom and, and God, your, your grace and mercy to be with them and give them open doors um, for their families to, to solve problems and, and to bring solutions. And finally, God, for our children who are going to be heading back to school or not, God, give wisdom to their parents, give wisdom to our leaders in, in the schools um, and, and for all of us who, 
we have to figure out how to work <laughs> in this time and place. God, help us to be safe, to honor you, to care for one another. And as we'll be reading about right now in this message, love one another. We thank you for being with us and to hear these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is great to be here. The last time I spoke was the very first streaming message we did back in March. So, um, you know, I started something. <laughs> but um, it is good to be here. I'm really excited because of the text that we just read. Although we're starting a new topic, a new series for the next five weeks, it was the very next verse in First John where, where Kyle left off. So I saw that as... Uh, the hand of God working uh, in, in preparing for this message. And this passage is, is a wonderful place of describing very briefly this new command that we have from Jesus. Um, this is the first of five messages we're going to do right now for the next five weeks on what we're calling or, or what are the key values that... <coughs> we want to focus on, we want Refuge Church to be cognizant of and using in decision-making and planning and, and all the things that we're going to do for some period of time, whether it's five weeks, five years, five decades, you know, who knows? The, these are key values. And um, <coughs> in, in the words of, of a current TV ad that's playing right now, it's either an insurance company or a car, I don't know which, they're taking advantage of this whole COVID thing and saying, our key value is your safety. And they make the point of saying, and that's not the same as a priority. Priorities change. Values don't change. And that's kind of true. You know, I'll, you know, especially if you're a church. Your values shouldn't change drastically from time to time. But what does change is the circumstances that we're living and working in. Our opportunities to practice and display those key values change, and, and new things arise. And so you'll, it's not unusual for a church to restate or, or kind of relay out the opportunities we have um, to display those, those key values from time to time. And so, we're, you know, we sat back in, in a meeting quite a while ago now and said, you know, we, we need to make sure we're keeping these five things in, on people's minds, in front of their faces, make sure we're all thinking about them when we're in meetings, because these will help us make decisions, to choose between options we have for ministry, and, um, you know, just use our limited resources. We don't have infinite amounts of money. We don't have infinite manpower. So we have to select what things we believe God is leading us to do when we have these options, and our key values help us do that. So I'm obviously going too slow, so Mike has moved on to the next slide already. <laughs> but these are the key values which you'll be hearing about in the, over the next five weeks. <clears throat> Essential gospel, earnest prayer, sincere connection, authentic relationships, and compassionate mission. And now we're going to move on right into number one, essential gospel. You know, if you ask a preacher to preach on the gospel, 
you got to be prepared to hear something because that's what we hope to do every single time we speak. So I got the first one. Um, Mark Rodericks will be doing earnest prayer. Kyle will be back for three and four, sincere connection and authentic relationship, and I'll be wrapping up with compassionate mission. But today's topic, essential gospel, we have summarized in this way. And this is actually a little paragraph that we put into a Word document, so it's, it's really important. <clears throat> we believe that God speaks to us through his word, not merely the words of a book, the Bible, but the living word, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus' message is the gospel. Therefore, we strive to be gospel-centered in our lives and actions. We recognize that the gospel transforms every circumstance. We cherish meditating on God's word daily and hearing God's word whenever we gather. For the love of our neighbors, we work to increase our understanding of God's word. So the, the intent of that little paragraph is to just kind of paint a quick picture of, of the scope of how the gospel and God's word applies across our ministries. It, it's important to indicate that the Bible is the source of our understanding of the gospel. And yet it also recognizes that there is a spiritual, divinely designed uniqueness of the Christian gospel. Oh, it's not just about understanding doctrine or the words written in these pages. It's about knowing a person, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. And to take this key value, which is just words on a banner, you're going to see banners up pretty soon, from, from this realm of knowledge to a experience, living it, not just saying it, I want to focus on that phrase right in the middle of our little uh, paragraph that says, the gospel transforms every circumstance. Or in the words of the Chrysler tagline for the 1993 Intrepid, who remembers the Intrepid? It featured cab forward design, and this changes everything. Didn't even begin to change things, but the gospel changes everything. Next slide, please. Yeah. I think we still might have a mix-up. Stay on this one. This is the verse that I feel best captures in a few words the essence of the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The underlines are added by me because I want to start with some definitions. This is the biblical definition of the gospel. And I want to take a closer look at these uh, important words in there because they help us understand what does this really mean. We want to look first at the word grace. The gospel is grace. What is grace? The, the, the unmerited favor. I was, the, took the words right out of my mouth. What does that mean? 
<laughs> well, simply it means, if you didn't hear that again, it's unmerited favor or getting good stuff that you don't deserve, right? Blessings that you don't deserve as opposed to mercy, which is about not getting consequences you do deserve. And grace and mercy are two sides of, of God's wonderful character uh, communicated toward us. But that's grace, not get, or, or getting blessings that you don't deserve. Now, I'm going to rattle your cages a little bit. This is where I'm glad that so many of you, I hope, are watching online. Because if you throw something, <laughs> it's going to hurt your TV more than me. But I have to step back. I'm thinking about this concept of grace. I look around me. And in this, what, first quarter of the 21st century, sometimes it seems like the world has a better handle on grace than the church does. I grew up a long time ago. <laughs> I remember as a kid, when I was in school, there was a classroom way down at the end of the hall for all the special kids. They didn't want that group near all the rest of the students because they make funny noises or they might have an outburst from time to time. And frankly, we weren't always very kind to them. But in recent years, as my kids grew up and my grandkids have now grown to the age where they're in school, I have opportunity to to see, to get into schools and see things going on, and I'm amazed at the change. One thing I see in our schools is this wonderful transition of mainstreaming, taping kids with all kinds of disabilities, including them right in the classroom, and including them as much as possible with the rest of the class and what they do, and they might get extra help where they need it, but it would be uh, um, anyone who mistreats or teases or bullies uh, a child with a handicap is just considered a barbarian these days. And I think that's a good thing. And you might not like all of the other agendas that are tied to these concepts today of diversity and um, tolerance. But there are some good things. There's a lot of grace being displayed toward people with handicaps or disabilities or different nationalities or different beliefs. There's a lot of grace being demonstrated. And I have to contrast that to what I sometimes see in the church where it seems like anyone who gets religion suddenly feels as though they have to comment and criticize every differing point of view, opinion, and practice. We <coughs> the Bible calls us, excuse me, ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors of the gospel. And if the gospel is all about grace, then why isn't that the first word people think of when they hear the 
you're a Christian? I don't think it is. Our words are to be seasoned by grace, Scripture says. Now, you, you all know as well as I that the reason that it doesn't work out quite that well most of the time is because we are not perfect. We are sinners saved by grace. And thankfully, the grace that produced the gospel, the good news, is God's grace, God's perfect, inexplicable, self-sacrificing grace. Praise be his name. The second word I want to look at up there is underlined saved. You have been saved. The Bible doesn't say congratulations, you qualify for this special offer. The Bible doesn't say you've been inducted into a club. The Bible doesn't say that you are now part of a special society. You have been rescued. The reason the world can seem to have grace in abundance is that it's easy to give grace when the offense is minor or it doesn't affect you personally. The world can give easy grace because it doesn't recognize any consequence or cost to many of the things they're willing to forgive. Rest assured, if there is a cost, if there's a personal sacrifice required, if personal freedoms are restricted, then the natural man is as tenacious about defending his rights as we are. The good news is about rescue, deliverance, salvation. I keep this card in my Bible. It's been there for many, many years. As you can tell, because it's on a card, not on something electronic. And it's this from Proverbs 24:11. This helps keep me Remind me of what we're doing. Rescue those <coughs> being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. We're not here to win arguments. We're not here to show that our system of beliefs has a greater integrity than someone else's. We're here to rescue people being led away to death. That's what salvation means. The third word up there is faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith for us. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction. This blessed assurance, as the song calls it, doesn't come from within you or me. None of us is so aware of spiritual truths or the unseen metaphysical world of, of angels and demons that we figured out by ourselves that, well, Jesus must be God and he alone is able to pay the price for my salvation. None of us figured that out. The faith that acknowledges the good news, and is a, that faith is a gift from God himself. 
no one can boast that they had any superior understanding or status or character that attracted God to you. This gift is 100% motivated by God's love for all of his children, all created in his image. The gospel truly changes everything. It changes tolerance into love. It changes self-righteousness into self-sacrifice. It changes despair into hope. And it changes the burden of works into the joy of worship. Kyle, oh, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so those are our definitions. Those are key to, to just reflecting on and understanding how this concept of the gospel affects your whole life. As I've titled this message, this changes everything. Well, why? Why does it change everything? Well, Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, 20, this cup is poured out for you. This, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus Christ, 2,000 plus years ago, established a new relationship between God and man. A new contract. A better new deal. And that's why it's called good news it's an announcement of a change. What do they say in advertising? The most important word is new. You get a little starburst on a bottle in the grocery store and you grab right for that one that says new on it. We like new things. But this good news is, is not just a suggestion. It's not just a new spin on an old idea. It's new and different. Could you go to the next slide, please? With this new relationship, we have a new commandment. And it's a very different commandment. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And I can assure you, they say you can't prove a negative, but all I can do is assure you that after this passage and the dozens of others that talk about this new commandment, it does not go on to say, oh, and by the way, all those other commandments too. It doesn't say that. It's always just love one another. We love those other commandments, don't we? We like to just check off those boxes and hold our list up against someone else's. But how good are we at loving one another? But the thing that this verse does say, which is hard, it says, just as I have loved you, love one another. How exactly did Jesus love you? Well, we're told in Philippians, we go to the next verse. This is how Jesus loved us. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, 
which is the same word as slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We had a wonderful message last week. Kyle shared a personal, candid kind of story about his own failure to humble himself at one point in time. And, and if, if you were here or you heard that message, you know, I'm sure you could relate. We, we all have, in many times, passed by someone in need. Just like the, uh, the story in the Good Samaritan of the, the Jewish lawyer who crossed the street to pass by on the other side instead of stop and deal with uh, someone in need. But this is what Jesus did. He, he was in a position of inconceivable glory and majesty. And in obedience to the Father's will, he became a helpless child of a poor family and died a criminal's death at the hands of wicked, politically motivated, unscrupulous men. We'd say, oh, I'll, I'll serve God, but it's got to be with integrity and honor. He let wicked people kill him. But then he was raised from the dead. Why? To bring us with him. To demonstrate that we too would rise from the dead. Next slide. This is the summary of that. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. I'm going to leave this slide up for a while so you can browse through it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? In the middle of a written sentence, Paul just bursts out with the gospel. By grace you've been saved. And so how do we love like Christ? You might have a tremendous uh, pantry full of food and, uh, and be a great cook. And you see someone hungry or starving and you go to them and bring them with you to a place of having plenty, of being well fed. Or you might have a huge wardrobe designer clothes of every name and, and brand and you see someone who's naked and you bring them with you to a place of having clothes, of being warm, of having sufficiency. You might have great education, degrees, honorariums and you see someone ignorant and uneducated and maybe even a little bit foolish and you go and bring them alongside of you to a place of just competence. <laughs> you know, the ability to live life and, and make good decisions. Boy, we don't get this with concept very often. You might have great social standing. You, you get invited to all the A-list events. And you go to the outcast, a criminal and bring them alongside you to a place of restored worth. That's how Jesus loved us. 
And you might say, Joe, I don't know if I can live like that. I don't know if I can love like that. <laughs> I'm with you. I understand. I lose my testimony when someone beats me to the next red X at the checkout line. It's not easy. And yet it's not as hard as we think. I have to say, <clears throat> it probably happens more often than you're aware. I know that Pat and I have been extremely blessed by the generosity and kindness of, of many of you as she's recovered from her surgery. Uh, you've done it before for others. You, you're going to do it again, I know, because of your kindness. You've sacrificed and you've given generously for all kinds of other events that we've done here through Refuge Church. You have sacrificed and continued to support this church all through this whole COVID thing. We've been amazed at how faithful everyone has been. So this is happening. This change is actually happening in you. And I'm so encouraged, so in encouraged to be part of this body and the, and the greater body of Christ, because I know this is what's happening in all of us. So we, I know that we're not ignoring these statements all throughout Scripture. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And as I said before, in none of those places does it go beyond saying that the new commandment is to love one another. Just love one another. You, you, you recognize John, the author of uh, this letter that we started with, the, the first, second, and third letters of John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He, was, he had a special relationship with Christ. He was called the, the apostle that Jesus loved. And he was the one who was sitting next to Jesus in the Last Supper, and he kind of leaned back against, against him at one point to have a little private conversation. And I picture Jesus kind of leaning in to him. And they had a little whispered conversation about what was going on with Judas. He had, a, he had a unique relationship with Christ. And it shows in the emphasis of this concept throughout his gospel, throughout all of his letters. If the if they titles weren't on them, you could tell they were written by John because he uses this phrase over and over and over again. And he builds his entire theology on salvation by grace through faith, just the way Paul did. Paul did in that text in, in Ephesians where he just couldn't contain himself. And he just burst out and said, by grace you've been saved. As though we need to be reminded over, over and over when we're dealing with all kinds of other little issues. It's by grace you've been saved. Salvation by grace through faith alone is the central idea that changed John from a fisherman to a fisher of men. And it changed Paul from a rich Pharisee to an imprisoned evangelist. And all the other apostles, their lives were never the same. 
So how can we modern age Christians even begin to allow ourselves to be changed like John and Paul and the other disciples were? Well, I want to return to the passage we read as as we stood here right before I got up to preach. That passage begins with some interesting statements that you all probably thought I was going to skip over. I'm going to call this John's how-to passage. I'll reread it for you because I didn't create a slide for it. But that opens with this. He says, this is how. And at that point, you all ought to grab your pens and pencils and say, he's going to tell us how something happens. Isn't that what we all want from the Bible? God, just tell me how. Tell me how it works. Well, John says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Have you ever wondered if you belong? If you're a relatively new Christian, you will wonder many times. And hopefully by the time you're a little bit more mature and been beaten up by the world and God picks you up and brushes you off a few hundred times, you'll realize you belong. And have you ever wondered how to rest in his presence? Well, I get nervous in his presence. But that's what John's telling us right now. You ready? Here it comes. If our hearts condemn us, right? You ever, you ever condemn yourself? We're good at that. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Holy mackerel, is this true? Here's John's prescription to that first question. Do you belong? Can you rest in his presence? He says, God is greater than your doubts. He knows everything. He knows what he's doing, and he knows your feeble condition, and he sent his son anyway. By grace, you've been saved. This is echoed in, uh, in another writing from John's letter in, in verse 515. You could go to the next slide. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John's goal is the certainty of the knowledge that God's salvation is real. You might recall uh, the words of the Apostle Paul, who is writing in the letter to the Romans, and in chapter 7, he's recounting how easy it is to fall into sin, even for him. And he actually calls himself a wretched man. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? 
And just two verses later, he says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does your heart condemn you sometimes? It's a wicked heart. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. You get tattoos, put that on. <laughs> Write that on your bathroom mirror. Put it someplace where you will say it a hundred times a day. Because you need to remember it. By grace you've been saved. And, and John goes on with something that is so totally foreign to us in, in our world today. He says, dear friends, if your heart does not condemn you, can you imagine who that is he's talking to? Is there anyone whose heart doesn't condemn them? Well, in Christ, there should be, there could be, sometimes there is. And from time to time, you, Christian, could find yourself content and at rest in his presence. You could find yourself at the center of his will and purpose. You could experience abiding in him and he in you, and at those times, John is saying, remain confident. Rest in that confidence, knowing that you belong, and that because you are obeying Jesus' command to love others, and you're doing what pleases him, your prayers, right at that moment, are completely aligned with the will of God. And you will receive from him anything you ask. Does that sound too good to be true? But it is true. And it does happen. And all we have to do is, like Jesus, humble ourselves in obedience to God's command and love one another. This good news, this gospel, is essential to all we do at Refuge Church. Without it, we cannot please God. We're just a noisy gong, a clashing cymbal. But with it, we're at the center of God's will. The gospel does indeed change everything. First, it changes your eternal destination. And then it gets to work changing you. And the wisdom that comes from above, we can go to the last slide, says we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Let's pray. O oh God who promises to complete the work that you have begun in each and every one of us, change us. Change us into the very image of your precious Son. Change us so that the world sees you when they see us. Change us so that you will be lifted up and your name glorified and all people will look toward you and know this amazing grace. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.